After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V Ayyadahullahu Ta'ala bin Israhil Aziz stated that two weeks ago, whilst narrating the accounts of the companions, I was mentioning the accounts from the life of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, and I will narrate some further details about him today. The battle against the Persian forces was mentioned last time, and during the battle, Hazrat Salma bint Hafsa, the wife of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, saw that a prisoner was shackled in chains and expressed immense longing to participate in the battle. His name was Abu Mehjan al-Sakfi, and Hazrat Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu expelled him from the city as a result of which he arrived there. However, due to him drinking alcohol again, Hazrat Saad radiyallahu ta'ala anhu had him flogged as punishment and shackled him with chains. Abu Mehjan requested Zahra, who was a maidservant of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas to open his chains so that he could participate in the battle. He stated that by Allah, if I survive, I will return and put on the chains again. The maidservant accepted his request and opened the chains. Thereafter, Abu Mehjan got onto the horse of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas and headed towards the battlefield. And penetrating the rows of the enemy, he headed towards the big white elephant and attacked it. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas was observing all of this and stated that it appears to be my horse, but Abu Mehjan al-Sakfi seems to be riding it. As mentioned previously, that Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas could not actively participate in the battle due to illness, but he was supervising from further afield. In any case, the fighting continued for three days and when the battle came to an end, Abu Mehjan al-Sakfi returned and put on his chains again. Hazrat Saad radiyallahu ta'ala anhu released Abu Mehjan saying that if you drink alcohol again, I shall give a severe punishment. Abu Mehjan promised never to drink again. Furthermore, according to another narration, 
Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu wrote about the entire incident to Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Upon which Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that if he repents from drinking alcohol again, then he should not be punished. Upon this, Abu Mahjan swore to never drink again, and Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu set him free. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu has narrated the details of this incident in the following manner. In the previous narration, it was mentioned that the maidservant released him. However, Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu writes that Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu was among the very special companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. During the period of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu's khilafat, Hazrat Saad was appointed as the commander of the Muslim army against the Persian forces by Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. However, he suddenly developed an abscess on his thigh, which is referred to as Gambir in our Urdu language. The injury persisted for a long time and he tried all kinds of treatments but to no avail. Eventually, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu thought that if he remained bedbound and the army saw that their commander was absent, they would become downhearted. Hence, he had a tree deck constructed just like people in this country, i.e. in the subcontinent, do for the security of their orchards. And so he used to climb up to the deck with the help of his men, so that the Muslim army may be able to see him and be assured that their commander was with them. During those days, he came to know that an Arab Muslim chief had consumed alcohol. Hazrat Muslim anhu further writes that although alcohol was forbidden in Islam, but the Arabs were extremely addicted to it. And once someone is addicted to something, then withdrawal can be very difficult. And this particular chief had only accepted Islam two or three years ago. Hazrat Muslim anhu states that when someone develops a habit for something, then it does not go away easily. But in any case, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu was informed that this Muslim Arab chief had drank alcohol and so he imprisoned him. In those days, there were no formal prisons and so whoever was to be imprisoned would be locked in a room and someone would be appointed to watch over him. And so this Muslim Arab chief was also locked in a room and someone was appointed to guard the door. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu further writes that this particular year was known as the year of trials in Islam. In other words, the year when this battle was taking place. The reason for this is that the Muslims suffered great losses during the battle. At one point, the horses of the Muslim army fled from the elephants of the opponents and there was a river nearby and the horses plunged into it. Since the Arabs did not know how to swim, consequently hundreds of Muslims drowned and died who were mounted on the horses. It was for this reason that this year is known as the year of trials. In any case, this Muslim Arab chief was locked in a room and the Muslim soldiers would return from the battle and sit near his room and mention to one another that the Muslims suffered great losses during the battle. He would be greatly pained upon hearing this and express his grief over the fact that he was unable to partake in the battle on this occasion. No doubt he had weaknesses and as a result drank alcohol. But nevertheless he was a very courageous and passionate man. And so hearing about the losses the Muslims suffered during the battle, he would start to pace up and down in the room just as a lion paces back and forth in the cage. 
And whilst pacing up and down, he would recite a couplet, which means that today was the opportunity for you to defend Islam and display your courage. However, you are in prison. Hazrat Saad radiyallahu ta'ala anhu's wife was a very courageous woman. And one day she passed by his room and heard these couplets. And she saw that no one was standing guard. And so she approached the door and whilst addressing the prisoner, she said, that do you know that Saad has imprisoned you? And if he finds out that I released you, he will certainly hold me accountable. However, I wish to set you free so that you may help Islam according to your desire. He replied, that you can release me whenever the battle commences and I promise that I will immediately return to this room after the end of each battle. Since this lady, i.e. the wife of Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu was also passionate for Islam and had an ardent desire to protect it, hence she released him. And so he partook in the battle and fought with such courage that as a result of which the Muslim army advanced ahead instead of retreating. Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu recognized him and later said that the individual I imprisoned for drinking alcohol was present in the battle today. And even though he had covered his face, I recognized him by the manner in which he was fighting and by his physical stature. I will now search for the individual who released him and I will punish him severely. In other words, he was going to severely punish the individual who had him released and had him unshackled. When Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas uttered these words, his wife became angry and responded, that do you not feel ashamed that you are sitting on the deck upon a tree and yet have imprisoned the individual who fearlessly enters the rows of the opposing army and does not care for his life? She then stated that I released this person and you may now do as you please. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu mentioned the details of this particular incident in one of his addresses to the Lajna, i.e. the auxiliary organization of the women in the Jamaat, and stated that women in Islam made extraordinary achievements. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu then reminded Ahmadi women that they should be mindful of these examples even today. Then another account of the sacrifice offered by women is as follows. And this is also in relation to Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. It is stated that a well-known poet and female companion from the Ansar tribe of Banu Sulaim, Hazrat Khansa radiallahu ta'ala anha, devoted her four sons during this battle in the cause of Allah. Hazrat Khansa radiallahu ta'ala anha's husband and brother had passed away when she was young. Hazrat Khansa raised her children with great care and effort. And in the morning of the last day of the Battle of Qadsiya, before the battle commenced, Hazrat Khansa radiallahu ta'ala anha addressed her children and said, that my dear sons, you have happily accepted Islam and migrated out of your own will. By that being besides whom there is none worthy of worship, I have not allowed any shame to befall upon your ancestors. Remember that the abode of the hereafter is better than this temporary world. O oh, my dear sons, prepare yourselves and remain steadfast. Fight shoulder to shoulder and fear God. When you see that the battle is fierce and in full force 
and when the cavalry has determined to stand its ground, you should race into the battlefield in order to adorn your lives in the hereafter. Thus, acting in accordance with the instruction of Hazrat Khansa radiallahu ta'ala anha, her sons took the reins of their horses and whilst reciting verses which are traditionally quoted during the times of battle in order to arouse the spirit of the soldiers, they galloped onto the battlefield and they fought bravely until they were martyred. Before evening fell on that day, the Islamic flag was raised over Qadsiyah. Hazrat Khansa radiallahu ta'ala anha was informed that all four of her sons were martyred, upon which she said, that I am grateful to Allah the Almighty that He has granted them martyrdom. I am proud that they were sacrificed in the cause of the truth, and I am certain that Allah the Exalted will grant us an abode in the shade of His mercy. After gaining victory over Qadsiya, the Muslim army was then granted victory in Babul, also known as Babylon, which is an ancient city of modern-day Iraq and which has been mentioned by the Holy Qur'an in relation to Harut and Marut. This place was where Kufa is now situated, and this is what has been mentioned in the introduction for the names of the cities. It is then further written that they reached the historical city of Kusa, which is where Nimrod imprisoned Hazrat Ibrahim salam. The prison was still intact in that time. And when Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas reached this place, and saw the prison. He recited the following verse of the Holy Quran. That is, and such days we cause to alternate among men that they may be admonished. As they journeyed further from Kusa, they reached a place named Bahrashir. And according to Mu'jam al-Buldan, which also explains the names of the cities, the name of this place was Bahuresir, which is situated to the west of the Tigris River, near the Iraqi city of Midian, and in the outskirts of Baghdad. This is also where the hunting lion of Chosros was kept. And so when the army of Azassad bin Abi Waqas reached close by, this beast was unleashed upon them. With its thunderous growl, the lion launched its attack upon the army. Hashim bin Abi Waqas, the brother of Hazasad radiallahu who was the commander of the front line, struck the lion in such a manner that it collapsed on the spot. Then the Battle of Midian also took place in this conflict. Midian was the headquarters of Chosroz, where his white palaces were located. And between the Muslims and Midian was the Tigris River. The Iranians had completely destroyed all the bridges over the river. And Hazasad bin Abi Waqas then stated that, O Muslims, the enemy have taken refuge with the river, so let us now swim across. Having said this, Hazasad led the horse in the river, and the soldiers followed their commander by also taking their horses in the river. And in this way, the army of the Muslims crossed the river. Having witnessed these extraordinary scenes, the Iranians began wailing with fear and fled immediately, thinking some spirits had come. As the Muslims advanced, they took control of the city and the palaces of Chosros. And in this way, the prophecy of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came to fulfillment. 
This prophecy was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, as he struck the boulder with a pickaxe whilst digging the ditch prior to the battle of the ditch. It was on that occasion the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that I have been shown the white palaces of Midian falling. Hence, having seen these palaces in a derelict state, Hazrat Saad recited the following verses of Surah Dukhan. That is, how many were the gardens and the springs that they left behind, and the cornfields and the noble palaces, and the comforts wherein they took delight. Thus it was destined to be, and we made another people inherit these things. Thereafter, Hazrat Saad wrote Hazrat Umar seeking permission to advance further, to which Hazrat Umar replied that he should suffice with what was at hand and attention should be given to establishing law and order in the conquered lands. Hence, by establishing Midian as the headquarters, Hazrat Saad began his efforts to strengthen the administration and he carried this out in an excellent manner. Hazrat Saad formed the census of Iraq and worked out its measurement he then arranged for the well-being and comfort of the public and by way of his excellent planning and carrying out his duties, he proved that God Almighty had favoured him not only with the art of war but also with administrative expertise. People often think that after conquering a land, the Muslims did not take care of its people but on the contrary, whenever they conquered a city, they took greater care of them than all who came before them. Then there was the construction of Kufa. Owing to the fact that the climate of Midian was not suitable for the Arabs, with the permission of Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Saad had the Arabs dwell in a new city, wherein the Arab tribes were allocated their own quarters, and a large mosque was built in the city centre which could accommodate 40,000 worshippers at a time. Kufa was in fact a military garrison, and so it was made the dwelling place for 100,000 soldiers. Further details of this are, that after remaining in Midian for some time, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu realized that the climate had greatly affected the Arabs. Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was informed of this and the instruction was given to find a suitable nearby land which they could inhabit. And once the Arabs settled there, it should be made the administrative headquarters. And so, in accordance with this, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu left Midian and chose a suitable land near the borders and laid the foundations for a vast city named Kufa. He then settled the Arab tribes there, each to their own quarters, and in the centre a large mosque was constructed which had a space for 40,000 worshippers. Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu also had the building for the treasury constructed near the mosque and his own palace too, which was known as Qasr-e Saad. <coughs> then there is the Battle of Nahavand, where in 21 Hijri the Iranian forces began preparations to fight the Muslims in the Ajam of Iraq, i.e. the part of Iraq which belonged to the Persians. And in order to regain control of the lands conquered by the Muslims, 150,000 Iranian warriors had gathered in opposition to them in Nahawan. (laughs) 
حضرت سعد رضی اللہ تعالی عنہ انفارمڈ حضرت عمر رضی اللہ تعالی عنہ اباؤٹ دس اینڈ آفٹر ٹیکنگ کاؤنسل فرام دوز آف ایکسپیرینس اینڈ انڈرسٹینڈنگ حضرت عمر رضی اللہ تعالی عنہ اپوائنٹیڈ ان عراقی حضرت نمان بن مقرن مزنی ایز دا کمانڈر آف دا مسلم آرمی ایٹ دا ٹائم حضرت نمان واز ان کسکر وچ از سچویٹیڈ بٹوین دا ہاون اینڈ دی ایج آف دا ٹائگرس ریور نیئر بسرا اینڈ ان وچ دیر ور مینی ٹاؤنز اینڈ ولیجز سو ایز اٹ ور Hazrat Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu instructed him to reach Nahawand and in comparison to the Iranian army of 150,000 the Muslim army comprised of only 30,000 whilst passing through the ranks of the army Hazrat Numan gave certain instructions and said that if he were to be killed Hazrat Huzaifa would take command of the army and if he too were to be slain then so and so would be handed command of the army in doing so he named seven individuals one after the other Thereafter, he supplicated to God Almighty, saying, O oh Allah, grant honor to your religion, help your servants, and grant the rank of martyrdom to Numan first and foremost. According to another narration, he prayed, O oh Allah, I pray you grant me the pleasure of my eye through such a victory in which lies the honor of Islam and my martyrdom. When the battle commenced, the Muslims fought with such bravery that they had conquered the battlefield before the sun could even set and it was in this very battle that Hazrat Numan was martyred Abu Lulu Firoz was captured in this battle and was given as a slave to Hazrat Mughira bin Shoba and this is the same person who later attacked Hazrat Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and martyred him ai Abu Lulu Hazrat Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu then wrote a letter to the Amir of Nahawand stating that if God Almighty were to grant victory to the Muslims then the khums i.e. one-fifth of the spoils of war should be set aside for the treasury and the rest should be distributed amongst the Muslims but if this army were to be defeated then for the belly of the earth is better than what lies above it i.e. the grave Once, during the Khilafat of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, some people of the Banu Asad tribe complained about the manner in which Hazrat Saad offered Salat. They complained to Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu that Hazrat Saad does not lead the Salat in the correct manner. Hazrat Umar then sent Hazrat Muhammad bin Masalma to investigate the matter, but he found the allegation to be false. Nonetheless, owing to certain reasons and wisdom, Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu recalled Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu back to Medina. This has been mentioned in Sahih Bukhari as follows. Hazrat Jabir bin Samura relates that the people of Kufa complained to Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu about Hazrat Saad. And so Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu removed him from his duties and appointed Hazrat Ammar radiallahu ta'ala anhu as the governor. Amongst the complaints that the residents of Kufa made against Hazrat Saad was that he did not lead the Salat in a good manner. Hazrat Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu summoned him and said, O Abu Ishaq, Abu Ishaq was the title of Hazrat Saad radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, that these people say that you do not lead the Salat in a good manner. Abu Ishaq, i.e. Hazrat Saad radiyallahu ta'ala anhu replied, that by God I lead Salat just as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, used to, and nothing less. Whilst leading the Isha prayer, I would make the first two rakats, i.e. the units of prayer long, and the last two shorter. Hazrat Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu then replied that Abu Ishaq, this is exactly what I thought of you. Meaning this was exactly as he expected him to do. 
Then Hazrat Umar عنه, sent one or few men with him to Kufa so that they may ask the residents of Kufa about him. And there was not a single mosque which they did not visit in order to ask about Hazrat Sa'd They went to every mosque and people complimented Hazrat Sa'd. At the end, they went to the mosque of the Banu Abbas tribe and there a man known as Usama bin Qatada and his title was Abu Saida. He stood up and said, that since you have taken an oath from us, and the truth is that Saad would not accompany the army and would not distribute the wealth equally, and nor was he just in his decisions. These were allegations that they levelled against Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Upon hearing this, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated, that by God, I pray for three things, that O oh my Allah, if this servant of yours, i.e. the person who levelled these allegations, is a liar, and has stood out of ostentation and for fame, then extend his life and increase his needs and make him repeatedly face trials. After this, whenever someone would inquire from that person who had leveled these allegations, he would say that he had become very frail, old and in poor condition, and that he was stricken with hardship, and that the prayer of Hazrat anhu against him had been fulfilled meaning he was suffering the consequences of the false allegations that he had leveled. Abdul Mulk would say that I have seen him afterwards and his condition was such that due to old age his eyebrows had sunk over his eyes and it was surprising to see that despite this his level of morality was so low that he would approach young girls in the streets and would make gestures at them with his eyes. And this entire incident has been recorded in Bukhari. In any case, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas was deeply hurt by these allegations and he said that I was the first from among the Arabs to launch an arrow for the cause of Islam and we would go alongside the Holy Prophet peace be upon him for battles in such conditions where we had nothing to eat except the leaves of the tree. Our condition was such that we would pass stool that would resemble the droppings of camel or like that of goats, i.e. completely dry. And now the situation is such that Banu Asad ibn Khuzayma wished to teach me the etiquettes of Islam. He further stated that if such is the case then I have been unsuccessful and all my deeds have been wasted and the people of Banu Asad went to Hazrat Umar ta'ala and spoke ill of me by saying I do not lead the Salat in a good manner. This narration is also found in Bukhari. In 23 Hijri, when Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu was attacked with murderous intent, people asked him to nominate someone for Khilafat after him. Upon this, Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu appointed a board for the selection of Khilafat, which included Hazrat Usman, Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas, Hazrat Zubair bin Al-Awam, Hazrat Talha bin Ubaidullah anhu. And Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu said that any one of these companions should be selected because the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had given them all the glad tidings of heaven. Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu then stated that if the Khilafat is given to Saad bin Abi Waqas, then he should be the Khalifa. Otherwise, whichever one of you becomes the Khalifa, he should continue to seek help from Saad because I did not discharge him from his duties because he was inept of doing work or due to any dishonesty. When Hazrat Usman anhu became the Khalifa, he made Hazrat Saad anhu the governor of Kufa once again. 
and he worked in this capacity for three years, after which due to some reason he had a disagreement with Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud, who at the time was in charge of the Baitul Mal, and as a result of which Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu discharged him from his duties. And after being discharged, he adopted a life of solitude in Medina. And when disorder and dissension against Hazrat Usman began, he remained in solitude. It is related in one narration that during the time of discord, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu's son asked Hazrat Saad as to what had kept him from going for jihad. Upon this, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied that I will not fight until you bring me a sword which can distinguish between a believer and a disbeliever, as now Muslims were fighting amongst each other. It is also related in another narration that Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated that bring me a sword which has eyes, lips and a tongue and can tell me that so-and-so is a believer and so-and-so is a disbeliever. Up till now, I have only fought against disbelievers. Then there is a narration in Sunan al-Tirmazi which relates that Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu said regarding the discord which began during the time of Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He stated that I bear witness that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him said that surely a time would come when there would be a disorder during which one who remains sitting would be better than the one who stands and the one who stands will be better than the one who walks and the one who walks will be better than the one who runs meaning one was not to take part in this dissension but to try and stay away from it upon this an individual asked that what should they do if the discord entered their homes he replied become like ibn adam i.e. the sons of adam as the holy quran mentions ibn adam saying that you should defend yourself, but you should not fight one another with the intent to kill. And this incident is mentioned in the Holy Qur'an, and it seems that this is the same example which he gave as well. Whilst mentioning the great efforts of the companions to end the discord which started during the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Muslim ta'ala anhu states that though the companions would not be given the opportunity to gather with Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, but they were not heedless to their duties. According to what was pertinent at the time, they had distributed their works into two parts. Those who were in their advanced years and elderly and who had moral influence on the masses would spend their time in advising others. And on the other hand, those who did not have such influence or were younger, they worked for the protection of Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu further writes that amongst them at the forefront in working to eliminate the discord were Hazrat Ali and Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas, the victor of Persia. After Hazrat Usman, during the Khilafat of Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Saad remained in solitude. And according to one narration, when the dispute between Hazrat Ali and Amir Muawiyah increased, Amir Muawiyah wrote letters to three companions to seek their help. Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas, and Hazrat Muhammad bin Masalwa. He wrote to them, asking them to help him against Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Upon this, all three companions refused. And Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu then sent the following couplets to Amir Muawiyah in response. 
سلمہ تجیو تہی دواؤ ایدونی ابو حسنین علی فلم اردو فلم اردو علیہ مایشا وقلتل آتنی سیفن بصیرہ تمیزو بہل اداوتو ولاو اتتمو فلدی آیا علیہم علامہ قدم تمیتا بہل اقاب لیومن منہو خیرن انتا حیین ومیتن انتا للمرے The translation of those Arabic couplets is that, O Muawiyah, you have a severe disease and there is no cure for your illness. Can you not understand even this much that Abu Hassan, i.e. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, asked me to fight but I did not listen even to him and I asked him to give me a sword which can see and can distinguish for me the difference between friend and foe. O Muawiyah, do you hope that the one who did not listen to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu's request to fight will listen to you? Even though a single day from the life of Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu is better than your entire life and death, and yet you call unto me against such a person. This incident is related in a narration from Ustul Ghaba. It is stated in one narration that once Hazrat Amir Muawiyah asked Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas, that what stops you from speaking ill of Abu Turab, i.e. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Because Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala would never speak ill of Hazrat Ali. Hazrat Saad replied, There are three things which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said regarding him. And if even one of those things was said about me, it will be dearer to me than red camels. Due to these three things, I will never speak ill of him, i.e. speak ill against Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The first is that once the Messenger of Allah وسلم, left Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu behind during an expedition. Upon this, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu submitted that, O Messenger of Allah, وسلم, will you leave me behind with the women and children? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied that, Are you not happy at the fact? that your connection to me is the same as that of Aaron with Moses, except with the difference that you will not be granted the status of prophethood after me. The second thing was that on the occasion of the battle of Khaybar, when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that I will give the flag of Islam to such a person who loves Allah and his messenger, and Allah and his messenger love him. At the time, we all desired that the flag be given to us, for we all had love for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. However, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, asked for Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu to be called. He did not give it to any of us, but instead said to call for Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu came, and he was experiencing an ailment in his eyes. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, put the blessed sliver from his mouth upon his eyes and gave him the flag of Islam. And on that day, Allah the Almighty granted the Muslims victory. The third aspect he mentioned was that when the verse was revealed, The translation is as follows. 
say to him, Come, let us call our sons and your sons, and our women and your women. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, called Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Fatima, Hazrat Hassan, and Hazrat Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhum, and said, O oh Allah, these are the members of my family. This is a narration from Tirmidhi. Musab, the son of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu relates, that when my father was close to his demise, he had placed his head on my lap, at which point tears began to well up. Upon seeing my condition, he said to me, O oh my son, what is it that makes you cry? I replied, Your imminent demise and the fact that after your passing, I find that there is nobody equal to you. At this, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied, That do not cry over me, for Allah the Almighty will never punish me, and I am from among the dwellers of paradise. There are certain people who raise allegations that such and such stated that he would enter paradise, and how is this possible? In this incident, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated that he was from among those who would enter paradise. He then further stated that Allah the Almighty will reward the believers for their good deeds, which they performed for the sake of Allah. And as for the disbelievers, Allah the Almighty will lessen their punishment on account of their virtuous deeds. However, when those deeds become exhausted, He will punish them once again. And every person should seek the reward for those deeds they performed. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu's son relates that I asked my father that your treatment towards the Ansar is different to everyone else. Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied that, O oh my son, is there anything in your heart against them, i.e. the people of Ansar? He asked his son that upon seeing his treatment towards the Ansar, did he have anything in his mind about it? His son replied that, No, but this treatment astonishes me. Upon this, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied that I heard the Holy Prophet peace be upon him say that only the believers will befriend them, i.e. the Ansar, and the hypocrites will harbour malice against them. Thus it is for this reason that I have close ties with them. Jareed relates that on one occasion he went to visit Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu inquired about Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas, to which he replied that I have seen that despite wielding powerful authority in his governance, he is the most honourable person. He is the least strict in his dealing and is like a benevolent mother for the people. He then stated that he gathers provisions for them just like the ants gather provisions and in battles he is the bravest and the most beloved from among all the Quraysh. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas passed away in 55 Hijri and at the time of his demise he was slightly over 70 years old. According to some narrations he was 74 years old whereas according to other narrations he was 83 years old. There is a difference of opinion as to the year of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu's demise. The different narrations range from 51 Hijri to 58 Hijri. However, the majority have stated his year of demise at 55 Hijri. At the time of his demise, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas left behind 250,000 dirhams as part of his will. 
Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away in Atiq, which was situated seven miles from Medina, whereas according to others it was situated ten miles from Medina. People brought his body to Medina on their shoulders, and the funeral took place in Masjid al-Nabwi. His funeral was led by Mirwan bin Hakam, the governor of Medina at the time, and the noble wives of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, were also present for the funeral prayers. He was buried in Jannatul Baqi. The following narration is in regards to the funeral of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Abdullah bin Zubair relates on the authority of Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha that when Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas passed away, the noble wives of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, requested for the funeral to be brought into the mosque so that they, i.e. the wives of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, could also offer the funeral prayer. Thus, the funeral was brought and placed in front of their quarters as they had requested, so that they could offer the funeral prayers. Later, the funeral was taken through the Babul Janais, which was close to where people would sit. And when news reached the noble wives of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the people disproved of this by saying that funerals were not permitted inside the mosque. And when Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha learnt of this, she said, the people are quick to pass judgment about matters which they do not have knowledge of. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha then further stated, the people who are critical of us, that we ask for the funeral to pass through the mosque, whereas the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, offered the funeral prayer of Suhail bin Beda inside the mosque. And this is a narration from Sahih Muslim. When he was close to his demise, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated in his will for his grave to be dug and for a lahad, i.e. for a cavity of brick to be placed over him, just as it was made for the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. This is also a narration of Sahih Muslim. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas was the last of the muhajireen to pass away from among the men. At the time of his demise, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas took out a woolen cloak and stated for him to be buried in this because he had worn this cloak during the Battle of Badr. He stated that he had kept the cloak especially for this time, i.e. for his burial. In Sirat Khatam al-Nabiyyin, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib radiallahu ta'ala anhu writes that in the era of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu as well, when stipends were fixed for the companions, those who had taken part in Badr especially received a larger stipend. Even the companions themselves would feel just pride on account of their participation in the Battle of Badr. Therefore, Mr. Muir writes that these companions of Badr were the peerage of Islam Bring me here the garment in which I went forth to Badr. For this end have I kept it laid up unto this day. So spoke Saad, the youthful convert of Makkah, now about to die at fourscore years of age. He further writes, Crowned with renown as the conqueror of Persia, the founder of Kufa, and the viceroy of Iraq, his honours were all cast into the shade by the glory of having shared in the battle of Badr, 
In his eyes, the garment of Badr was the highest badge of nobility and in it would he be carried to his grave. From the earlier narration, in which it was mentioned that Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala built a palace, and questions may arise in one's mind about this. But the answer to this is that towards the end of his life, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala remained in seclusion, and the attire he chose for his burial was the cloak he wore in the Battle of Badr. Furthermore, the time he spent in seclusion prior to this incident also testifies to his humility and simplicity. Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu states that when I took part in the Battle of Badr, I only had one daughter. And from other narrations we find that at the time of Hajjatul Wada, he still only had one daughter. But later, Allah the Almighty blessed him with many children. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu married a total of nine times throughout his lifetime. And he was blessed with 34 children, 17 girls and 17 boys. This concludes the accounts in the life of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu and in future inshallah I will narrate accounts for the next companion. After the Friday prayers I will lead some funeral prayers in absentia and the first funeral is of Saftar Ali Gujar Sahib who was serving as a volunteer in the Ziafat department at the Fazl Mosque London. He passed away on 25th July at the age of 79 owing to a heart attack and having spent a few days in hospital. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, He was a Musi, a part of the institution of al wasiyat and had the opportunity to serve as a volunteer in the Ziafat department of the UK Jamaat for 30 years. Right up until his demise, he had the opportunity to serve in an outstanding manner the guests of the Promised Messiah والسلام, and also the workers and volunteers of the Jamaat through the Ziafat department. Aside from this, the deceased had the opportunity to help with postage and packaging with Al-Fazl International and the Ahmadiyya Bulletin. His asylum case was pending for many years and when after a long time his case was accepted and his family was able to come to the UK, he was extremely grateful to Allah the Almighty for this and he never complained that he had to spend a long time on his own. The deceased had immense love for Khilafat and always remained in close proximity to Khilafat. In fact, I would say that he was so passionate about Khilafat that he was a model for others in this regard. He had great love for the members of the Jamaat and also his relatives. He was very devoted and regular in offering his five daily prayers. He would serve selflessly, was very popular and had a caring nature. He would compose poems in the Punjabi language and owing to his beautiful voice, he was very popular among the members of the Jamaat. During the Jalsa Salana, i.e. the annual convention, the deceased would recite poems for the guests and as a result was renowned. He belonged to a prominent Jamaat in Lahore, Handu Gujar, and aside from his wife, he is survived by four sons and two daughters. Respected Ataul Mujib Rashid Sahib writes, As Safdar Ali Sahib possessed a very simple nature, 
and he was very sincere and served the Jamaat in a very loyal and tireless manner. There were three extraordinary qualities which he possessed that further increased my love for him. Firstly, he would always be grateful to Allah the Almighty and despite having limited resources, he would always be expressing his gratitude and praise to Allah the Almighty for everything. Secondly, his heart was filled with the love for Khilafat. He states that I cannot recall a single moment where I met him and he did not express his love for Khilafat. And thirdly, he would serve the Jamaat with great love and considered it as his good fortune. His daughter Tehseen Saiba writes that in every moment of his life he sought to provide comfort to others. If any one of his friends or someone at the mosque was experiencing some difficulty, he would inform everyone at home and request them to pray for the individual. In every situation he would remain grateful to Allah the Almighty and would help others and thank them for giving him the opportunity to help them. She further writes that he would always say to our sisters that one of the reasons why he loved us so much was because the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has stated that one who honours their daughters will be with him in paradise. She says that he treated us with great love and respect. His other daughter, Razia Sahiba, writes that our father would always advise us to show obedience and love for Khilafat and he himself was a true example for us in his love for Khilafat. She further writes that each and every person that has come to offer condolences has said that it seemed like he loved them the most, but in fact he showed love to everyone. We thought that perhaps he only helped those who lived nearby to the mosque. However, Many people have stated that they considered him to be a part of their family. And he even helped those who lived far away as well and fulfilled his bond of friendship with them as well. This is purely owing to his boundless love and helping people that they express such sentiments. I have also received letters in which people have written about him and from each and every letter it is evident that he had a personal relationship of love and sincerity with each and every person. There are very few individuals who are loved by everyone. Similarly, all those who have written to me have also mentioned that Khilafat would always be the main topic in any gathering of his. May Allah the Almighty grant him an abode amongst his loved ones and enable his children to continue his good deeds and become the recipient of his prayers. May Allah the Almighty grant his wife good health, patience and peace. His wife has been ill for quite some time and he also served her with great sincerity, love and affection in addition to fulfilling all his other duties and obligations. He served in the Langar Khan in the Darul Ziyafat and he served with an even greater passion than a life devotee and at the same time fulfilled all his obligations at home as well. And despite not knowing English, he also served his English-speaking neighbours and had established a good relationship with them as well, and they have also greatly praised him. May Allah the Almighty elevate his status. The next funeral is of respected Ifat Nasir Sahiba, who was the wife of respected Professor Nasir Ahmad Khan Sahib. She passed away on 3rd May 
at the age of 90 years owing to a heart attack. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Ifrat Nasir Sahib's marriage took place with Professor Dr. Nasir Ahmad Khan Sahib in 1951. She leaves behind one daughter, Aisha Nasir Sahib, who is the wife of Dr. Inayatullah Mangla Sahib from the USA. And also two sons, Zahir Ahmad Khan and Dr. Munir Ahmad Khan. And both of these sons have been married into the family of the promised Messiah alayhi salatu wasalam. One of her grandsons, Basir Ahmad Khan, is a life devotee and currently serving in an excellent manner in the transmission department in MTA. He completed his further studies here in the UK and thereafter presented himself to serve as a life devotee. May Allah the Almighty enable him to also become the recipient of her prayers. Her son writes that when we were young children, we would sleep with our mother and in the night, whenever we would wake up, we would find our mother profusely weeping in her tahajjud prayers. This has also been mentioned by her daughter as well. She would regularly recite the Holy Quran and it was compulsory for all us children to recite the Holy Quran before leaving for school. We were not allowed to leave for school without having recited the Holy Quran. During the 60s, she lived in Lahore and served as the General Secretary for the Women's Auxiliary Organization, Ayy Lajna Imayullah, in the model town Jamaat. And for 28 years, she served as the President of the Women's Auxiliary Organization in Darul Nasr Gharbi Jamaat. In those days, the Jamaats were spread over large areas, and the Jamaat of Darul Nasr extended up to the river near Rabwa, and there were limited resources, and transport was not easily available. However, she would travel by foot. When Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV Rahimahullah urged the members to write letters to their non-Ahmadi family members and also those Ahmadis who were less fortunate, the deceased wrote countless letters to her family members. She would always be helping her relatives who were less fortunate and the poorer members in her local areas in some way or another. And especially during the month of Ramadan, she would cook meals and send it to them. She would always strive to keep everyone together and not allow any discord to appear. Her daughter, Aisha Saiba, writes, She lived her life whilst fully supporting her life devotee husband and considered our education and moral training as her primary duty and would also greatly pray for this as well. May Allah the Almighty grant her His mercy and forgiveness and enable her progeny to fulfill her pious wishes and become the recipients of her prayers. The next funeral is of respected Abdul Rahim Saki Sahib, who was serving as a staff member in the General Secretary's office. He passed away on 31st March. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, he was a Musi. He was born in 31st December 1934 in Moza, in the state of Naba, India. His father's name was Rahmat Ali, and Ahmadiyyat entered their family through his father's paternal uncle, Chaudhary Karim Baksh Sahib Nambardar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. Rahim Bibi Saiba was amongst the female companions of the Promised Messiah and the wife of Molvi Qudratullah Sahib Sunori was a cousin of Abdul Rahim Saki Sahib's father and thus his paternal aunt. 
Saki Sahib had the opportunity to serve as the finance secretary and guide Majlis Qudamul Ahmadiyya in Takht Hazara for 10 years from 1958 to 1968. And after the partition of the subcontinent, his family migrated and settled in Takht Hazara. In 1968, he was appointed as the Amir of the Ahmadiyya Jamaat in Takht Hazara and continued to serve as the Amir till 1974. On 13th July 1974, a mischievous group gathered some deviants and opponents of the Ahmadiyya Jamaat and this group which was armed with weapons then began to create unrest and disorder against the Ahmadis. They burnt one side of the mosque and took over it and they completely burnt down the guest house. Saki Sahib also owned a shop which they looted and then set it on fire. Similarly, he had another clothes shop which they also seized. They also set his house on fire whilst he was still inside and due to the smoke he fell unconscious and whilst he was in a state of unconsciousness the mob carried him to the mosque and announced on the loudspeaker that he had accepted Islam and repented for his sins and other Ahmadis should also leave the Jamaat. However, later when he regained consciousness and saw he was surrounded by spears and arrows it had a great effect on him mentally. As a result, his children sent him to Lahore to one of their relatives where he also received treatment. He then once again started his business where he came and settled and also built a slot center in part of a building that was situated next to his relative's house. He would draw the attention of members towards the congregational salat and also taught the Holy Qur'an to hundreds of people, including children. In November 2000, he migrated to London and thereafter continuously served in the UK General Secretary's office till 2020. He was even more punctual than the life devotees and would always be the first to turn up to the office so that no one would have to be made to wait. In fact, he would even skip his breakfast if it was getting late and would go straight to the office. His children have also written that one of his qualities was that he would daily recite three chapters of the Holy Quran. He had a bond of great love for Khilafat and would always advise in a very heartfelt manner to children and adults alike to remain attached with Khilafat and to show utmost respect, loyalty and obedience to Khilafat. He would always show great respect for the life devotees and especially the missionaries. The deceased had the opportunity to serve the Jamaat on a voluntary basis for approximately over 60 years. His son Khalid Mahmood Sahib is serving as the president of the Kolyazwood Jamaat. The deceased leaves behind his wife, two sons and five daughters. May Allah the Almighty elevate the status of the deceased and enable his children and progeny to fulfill his pious wishes. The next funeral which I will lead is for Sayyid Ahmed Segal Sahib who served as a volunteer in the private secretary office's dispatch department. He passed away on 12th April at the age of 90. He leaves behind two sons and two daughters. 
His childhood was spent in Qadian and acquired his early education from there as well. He had the opportunity to serve as a volunteer in the dispatch department in the private secretary's office for a long time. He was very intellectual and along with his secular education, he also had a lot of knowledge of the Holy Quran and religious matters related to the Jamaat. He was very regular in his prayers and had a bond of extreme love for Khilafat. He was exemplary in his humility and civility and was very much liked by all those who knew him. I saw that whenever he met me, he did so with utmost humility and he had a great heartfelt desire for his progeny to also be firmly attached with the Jamaat. Aslam Khalid Sahib writes that he had a very intellectual disposition and often would have a very informative discussion on various topics at lunch. He particularly had a lot of knowledge in Christianity and Judaism. One of our staff members in the private secretary's office, Bashir Sahib, writes that he desired to serve the Jamaat even in the advanced years of his life. One day he told me that he was going to the mosque for some work and suddenly felt a bout of dizziness and fell and sustained some injuries as well. However, despite that he would walk to the mosque, even though he had to walk from quite a distance, so that he availed of every opportunity of serving the Jamaat. He sold his large house and bought a small flat near the Fazl Mosque, just so that he could easily come to the mosque. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his mercy and forgiveness and accept his prayers in favour of his progeny. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Namudu, and a stay no, and a stockfellow. When no men obey, and a tawakalo, when I was of Allah, him in Shirure and Fusena, women say, Yeah, وَمَنْ يُضْلِلُّ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَنَشْهَدُ اللَّهَ إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَنَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا نَبْدُوهُ وَرَسُولُهُ إِبْعَادُ اللَّهِ رَحِمَكُمُ اللَّهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْلِسَانِ وَيَتَاءَ الْقُرْبَانُ وَيَنْهَى عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغْيِ يَعِظُكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ اذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ يَذْكُرْكُمْ وَاذْكُرُوهُ يَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ وَلَذِكْرُ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ